So what if you're single? You're never alone in the single soul circle. Join us as we hear from singles who will inspire you and help you face the unique challenges and opportunities of the single life. I'm your host, Heidi Fry. Today, Sarah Davis joins us in the single soul circle. Sarah is a podcast producer, learning experience designer, and writer living in the San Francisco Bay Area. She is the host of Breathing Wind, a podcast about grief, parent loss, change, and healing. Thank you so much, Sarah, for joining us today to talk more about your journey with grief and the transformation that unfolded. I know community has been really important to you in the grief process. Could you share more about how your friends were there for you through your grief when you lost your father? So my dad passed away in 2016, and I don't have any family nearby, so it's really, my friends are my family. Um, And I just remember... I remember being coming back from that experience of loss and arriving at the airport to a friend who had bought me soups and salads and healthy things that she thought I would like from Whole Foods and drove me home from the airport that day. And then I had other friends kind of reach out and say, you know, do you want to talk? And then if I didn't respond, they would they would come knocking on my door. (laughs) (laughs) Like I was just so surprised at how many people had also had an experience of losing a parent at sort of a quote unquote younger age, like in your twenties or thirties or even younger. And just that feeling, I think of being a part of this kind of, club that you never wanted to be a part of is just it's just very binding with other people if you if you let if you let that in and I think I I didn't have any other choice I couldn't be the one reaching out I was at anybody's mercy for for communities to up support and uplift me and they showed up and it was just it was amazing I had no idea I had so many friends who were willing to meet me in this place that felt really vulnerable and really terrible to me Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah I really like your point about letting them in I know that can be difficult when you're single and independent to really take that help from others what a great gift to your friends to be vulnerable and really allow them to be there for you. Yeah, yeah, I think that's totally. I I I always have felt very independent and very able to handle all of the things and maybe that experience taught me that it's it's good to lean on other people and to have that support built in. Are there any other ways that being single can make the grief process a little bit different? Yeah. So I think that in some ways it was easier for me to be single going through that experience than to be in a relationship. I I did try dating a little bit during that year after my dad passed away and i noticed that i wasn't able to be there for another person 
that I was kind of drawn in. I was, it was very drawn in through the whole experience inward. And I needed to focus on that and my grief and tending to other people was just not going to be a part of the equation. So for me, having that introverted time and space to be by myself was really important. And had I had somebody else, a child or a partner or um, even taking care of a parent or somebody else in my life, if I had had any responsibilities beyond the, the plants, I, I think it would have been hard. It would have been hard to have that, be able to be there for them in a way that, that is like on a relational level. Wow, that's a really interesting perspective on being single and going through grief. Because my first thought is it would be easier to have a partner that you could lean on. But now I see your point about how being single really allowed you the space to grieve how you wanted without feeling like you had obligations to a partner or children at the same time. So another part about being single can often be dating. So when you decided to go back to dating, how was that? <laughs> it was uh, not that not that successful. <laughs> I remember the first date that I went on after my dad passed away. I just remember thinking, oh, I need to tell this person that my dad passed away. <laughs> so the first date... <laughs> <laughs> right out the door. It was like, by the way, my dad passed away. And it it just changed the tone and the, um, the moment. And it was, it was kind of unnecessary. I, I don't lead with that with my, um, <laughs> meeting new people now, <laughs> but it was such a big part of my life at the time. And I felt like whoever it was needed to know. So I felt like I needed to say it, but, um, it was, it was a challenge. I don't think I connected with many people during that time. And the only people who I'd already known as friends, we grew closer, but it was, it was just, it wasn't good because I was so inward. I was, the experience brought me back to a time when I was kind of like 13. I felt like it was very similar to then because that was when my dad was a big part of my life. And, and when I was 13, I was introverted. I was very much into reading books and into just, just not interacting with too many people. So anytime I added a layer of complication to my life, like going out on a date on a Wednesday night, it just didn't work well for me. You talked a lot about internal reflection and taking care of yourself during this time. Could you talk about the retreat you went on and how did you decide to go? What did you learn about yourself? Yeah, so I I did a lot that first year <laughs> and the second year. I was very focused on trying to figure out what is this feeling that I'm feeling? Why is it here? And what do I do about it? And I tried to do it in the way I approach most things, very cerebrally, I guess, very uh, analytically. 
Um, and I, I approached it from every angle, from spiritual angle, from the reading memoirs angle, um, podcasts. I listened to Terrible Thanks for Asking, which brought me a lot of comfort. That was kind of the only one I knew at that time. I know now there are many more, but at that time, that was the one. And I listened to um, books on tape about either loss or poems. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily recommend that to me now, (laughs) (laughs) but that's what I was doing. (laughs) And in the middle of all of that, there was a retreat about social entrepreneurship. So the reason why I went to that was I was reevaluating everything in my life. I was reevaluating, why am I, am I spiritually fulfilled? Am I fulfilled in my purpose? Am I fulfilled in work? I was just, I was looking at all of the angles because I was feeling an absence of something. Besides just my dad passing, I was recognizing that life is short and that it's valuable and that it's this experience that I was feeling was really transformational for me in a way that I don't think I would have thought that it would be. This retreat was co- was through the Young Women's Social Entrepreneurship Network. And they have these like small gatherings of women who are focused on entrepreneurship in the social space. So um, it, we were daily meeting and having different work sessions. We were collaborating with each other, really inspirational women, basically, just talking about how they were changing the world. And um, one of the sessions, I drafted out a vision of what I saw my life's work to be. And Mm. the prompt, I think, was something like, what have you been thinking a lot about all year? (laughs) (laughs) And what had I been thinking a lot about? (laughs) Grief. And what did that mean to me? And what did it mean to my life? And um, all of those things. So I started just writing um, free form about grief and what I'd been doing with it. And then I think the different steps further along were like, how do you envision this? What would you change about this? How would you, Sarah, you know, how would you be able to spread um, help about around this, this topic? And the thing that occurred to me the most at that time, and it's still, I feel like it's still an issue, except now I'm deep in the grief space. So I feel like everybody's talking about grief, but they're not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But the issue that really surfaced for me was that I, as in that introverted space that I was when I was grieving, I didn't have a lot of resources. I had that one podcast, I had books, (laughs) but I wanted more. I wanted, I wanted to hear more stories from people, real people who would experience grief. I mean, not the famous people or not real people, but I wanted I wanted it from somebody who wouldn't have gotten their memoir published. Um, I wanted just to hear what what their experience was like, what they wished they had known, what they how they grew, all of that. And and I felt like my experience and what I skills I brought were around storytelling and around helping others to share their message. So 
I just wrote all of that out, <laughs> and then I sat on it for a few months <laughs> while I explored um, other work with co- I had a couple of coaches at the time. One was an intuitive coach who helped me realize that the way I really wanted to spread this work was through a podcast. And I don't know how we got there because I'm not, I, I don't feel like the podcast was my original goal. It was, it was maybe writing. It was maybe um, having other people share their written stories. It wasn't necessarily using my voice, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I knew I wanted to connect community too. And it's really great to, it's a really great way to do that through meeting with people one-on-one and having conversations and then allowing them to feel like their story has real value and spreading that with the rest of the world. So there is something there um, to the podcast that came out of that experience, that retreat. I also went through that. Am I going to write? Am I going to podcast? And being an introvert, I think sometimes it can be a little bit challenging thinking about, oh, I'm going to go on mic. Did you have any fears around that? Or, <laughs> Yeah, I, well, a little bit. I, yeah. <laughs> I, it was a long, longer story from before I had been producing media for my work mm-hmm. as an instructional designer. Mm-hmm. And we would create videos and I I would sometimes use my audio, so I'd have to listen to it and edit it. And mm-hmm. it bothered me at first to hear my voice. <laughs> and eventually I got used to that. That part wasn't the challenge. The challenge for me was really around the vulnerability. Mm. Not only did I decide to start a podcast, but I decided to start a podcast on the thing that was really hard for me. <laughs> right. Yeah. It was around the, having a vulnerable conversation. It was around grief. And I didn't feel like I was an expert. And I still, I'm definitely not an expert. But like, why did that make me the most ideal person to host this? You know, what was, how how was I going to add to the conversation? And at the end of the day, I mean, looking back on it in hindsight, I can realize that there is something very valuable about processing grief with others when you're processing it yourself and you haven't gotten to the point where you're an expert and you are just kind of curious and you're bringing that curiosity into that conversation. So so there is something of value with that. There's always something of value with whoever you are, whoever is podcasting, right? Mm-hmm. It's your unique perspective at that time in, in your life. And that's the beauty of it, I guess. I love that, the importance of having curiosity. And you're also giving your guests the gift to share their stories and the gift to your listeners to help them hear different perspectives on grief, to really help them see that they're not alone. And it's just so beautiful that you're sharing your vulnerability with others. And what do you feel that the Breathing Wind podcast has done for you and the listeners? That's such a good question because it's it's so different than I think I ever expected going into it. Going into it, I thought, okay, these stories are going to help other people. <laughs> yeah. 
And I didn't really see the value. I mean, I did see the value in the conversation that I was having, but I didn't see myself as instrumental to helping other people with, with their grief. Oftentimes, I was talking to people 10 years, 20 years out from their loss, because that's when they started to feel comfortable sharing. And for many of those people, they hadn't talked about their loss in 10 or 20 years. So I was resurfacing something for them and allowing them to kind of look at it in a different way, think about it again, and process it with somebody. And I think for me, the big benefit of doing that, season one I'm thinking about specifically, is it allowed us to be vulnerable with each other and grow closer Mm-hmm. We'd already been close. And maybe in one case, I became really good friends with somebody who was just an acquaintance oh, wow. out of that conversation. That's great. <laughs> um, I started to track uh, the impact that I was making as well through just emails and messages that I was receiving. And I started pinning them up on the wall because I wasn't, I wasn't really heavily promoting a lot of the work that I was doing. I wasn't in it for the promotion initially, especially (laughs) I was in it for just doing the content creation part of it. And so the impacts that I was having were really on an individual level and also on um, the level of some of my listeners who had found me (laughs) (laughs) for some miracle they'd found me. And, um, and it just, it, it started to feel for me like a really meaningful, purposeful way of living and working. And so for me, it, it became this source of, um, almost like confidence in my own voice mm-hmm. that I hadn't been there before because I hadn't been really out there. I hadn't been like embracing that side of me, even if I wasn't really talking that much, even if I was just listening, just to be able to hold that space for somebody else. And also, you know, I did hit publish, even though I was feeling really nervous and vulnerable, I did do it. And then I kept doing it. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah. That's great. I I, that answers your question. <laughs> yeah, I, lo- I love how you're pinning up the messages that you're getting from your listeners to kind of remind yourself, motivate yourself. Because uh, I think that's more meaningful than, you know, going and looking at download numbers. It doesn't tell you a lot. I know we were just at a conference where one of the speakers was talking about that and like, what's what's the real measure that we're looking for? And I think you were saying it right there, that impact, being able to help help somebody and then being able to hear about it, how that impacted someone, I think really makes a difference. Um, I know I, I appreciate that too. When people reach out, sometimes there are days where I'm like, why am I doing this? Is anybody listening? And then to be able to hear that, you know, something a guest shared, you know, changed somebody's view on something or motivated them to do something. I think that's, that's really what we're here to do. So I think that's really, really awesome that you have that impact wall. That's such an awesome idea. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I didn't mention it, but some of the relationships that I, I guess I kind of mentioned it, but some of the relationships that I built with people who were guests on season one maintained and grew in 
two of those folks became co-hosts for season two. Oh, wow. And we just, I mean, we're always in touch now. These are people who are now like professionally lifting me up on a regular basis. And it just feels so, feels so good. I mean, I'm, I'm a freelancer, so I don't have like that built-in support of a su- supervisor to like push me forward. So it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of nice to have that, like have that support now from somebody who really gets what I'm doing and it gets it on a deep level. Like they've actually worked on the podcast. They've actually been there with me in the arena, like Brene Brown says. So it's really just, it's amazing. That's awesome. Cause so you're continuing that community building. I love that. I love that. And so you made some other changes throughout this time too. You just mentioned freelancing. So how did you have the courage to make that leap? Yeah, <laughs> I did a lot. <laughs> um, so I, I think that so that year that my dad passed away was a really pivotal year for me. It just made me realize a lot of things about my life, and and I I won't say that being in the corporate world was so terrible. It was not, I had a pretty decent job. It was mostly eight to five (laughs) and Monday through Friday. And I would go on vacations and I would do all the things, but I'd always had this inkling. I'd always wanted to be a digital nomad and travel a bit more. And I knew I couldn't do that in that environment at that time. um, Now it might be different they were pretty much in the office every day. And I think now after COVID, maybe it would have been different. But I couldn't do a lot of the things I wanted to do and have a more free-flowing life. And I think more importantly, I didn't feel like the work I was doing was really contributing to society as large. <laughs> it was it was okay. I could kind of make the connection. But after a certain point in time, three years of, of doing the same type of training experience that I did, wasn't seeing much movement with movement of an, any needles. It was just, it was, it was hard. And I think a part of my personality is really wanting to create something in the world that makes a difference. So it was, it was partially, to allow space to be able to do that. But also partially, I was just realizing that that work that I was doing every day, 40 plus hours a week, was just not fitting for me and my personality and who I was and how I wanted to be in this world when I knew that life is short. And I just knew it so clearly because I had had that close experience with somebody who had passed and I'd never felt it before. Mm-hmm. with other people who had passed in my life. It was just so different when it was my dad. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so it was it was a long, long journey. Yeah. <laughs> a long journey to get there. But when I did, I just felt so much relief. And I, I'm still, I still work on corporate compliance training sometimes. Corporate training experiences um, are still what I do because I do enjoy learning new things. I still do enjoy that, but I like it in a short amount of time. (laughs) And when I can kind of say, Oh, I'm, I want to do this right now versus having to do it constantly. 
And did you experience any grief from leaving that corporate world and leaving that structured job? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that was surprising. That was really surprising. For the first three months after, I, I just felt like I had been hit, like hit by a car (laughs) in some ways. I, I would, I would still, I was still able to function. I was still doing things. I just felt like I needed to journal a lot. I needed to figure out what was next. And I was always a little bit like worried about what was I doing? Was I do, did I make the right choice? And it didn't, that part didn't become clear to me for probably a while afterwards, (laughs) probably more like six months. But um, in the middle of all of that, I, that was when I started the podcast. I started reaching out for pre-interviews and I think I posted something on Facebook and it got shared to friends of friends. And all of a sudden I had 30 pre-interviews. Wow. (laughs) In two weeks, because I thought that makes sense. I have two weeks. (laughs) And it was hard. I think it's probably hard to do pre-interviews anyway. Mm -hmm. But I was talking to people about really vulnerable um, topic. And I thought, well, we could still spend just 15 to 20 minutes. And that was really not what happened. It was like, it's hard to talk about your grief in 15 to 20 minutes for, for some people. So it was oftentimes these conversations would go for an hour and then, you know, we would decide whether or not we were going to move forward. So it was it was pretty hard during that time to be grieving the the loss of this job that I thought was my career trajectory. And then also to be going through that experience of pre-interviews. Were there any adventures that you got to take now that you had this new freedom? Yeah, so I... One of the things I did for myself, I gave myself a lot of gifts that first (laughs) year that I was self-employed. And one of the gifts was to go to a conference in Portland called the Everything Conference. And I had heard about it through a podcast (laughs) all about self-employment. I will remember the name and send you the link. (laughs) But... um. Uh, Stephen Worley is the creator of the podcast and he just, he has these great email newsletters that he sends out and he sent out one that was like, I'm going to be in all these great conferences. And I was like, Hmm, that seems interesting. I could actually meet him in person. This person who's been in my ears telling me how great being a solo entrepreneur is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I saw that there was this everything conference, which is going to be a smaller gathering of people. And it seemed like it was going to be very well organized with some, you know, purposeful ways to connect with other people. And I signed up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it was wonderful. It was so inspiring and so amazing. And at that conference, I met Sonia, who became a really good friend of mine, who's from Spain. Oh. And I told Sonia about my desire to be a digital nomad. Mm-hmm. And she was like, well, 
you just need to you just need to do it, Sarah. You just need to <laughs> I was like, but I'm self-employed and I'm just I just quit my job. I don't have the money. And she's like, Well, just come and stay with me. Oh, nice. <laughs> and um so I did. I did that in January of 2020. Wow. <laughs> before the craziness happened. Perfect. <laughs> um, I think, well, it was actually February. February. Wow. Um, I started in Paris and then I was about a week and a half in Paris. And then I went to Madrid. And so I did stay with somebody. I wasn't completely by myself, mm -hmm. but I also just wanted to experience what living in Madrid would be like. So I set up a co-working space and had a cafe that I'd go to. And then, you know, I'd meet up with Sonia in the evenings. And then on the weekends, I would go and do my own adventures out into the the burbs of Madrid. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that was just so much fun. And so it's, I felt so alive doing all of that. My only regret is that I didn't make it to the Alhambra because it was I had to cut my trip short. But oh. <laughs> um, that will be for next time. Yeah. And what a beautiful example of not waiting to do something because then the world kind of went a little bit crazy. So how perfect that you were able to to do that and you had the encouragement from a friend and that support uh, sounds like an amazing trip. Yeah, I I didn't mention this, but when my dad passed away, I went to Spain um, to the Camino to spread his ashes because he'd always wanted to do that. And so whenever I go to Spain, I feel deeply connected to him as well. So it's it's definitely going to be a place I'm going to be coming back to time and again. That's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you so much, Sarah, for joining us to share more about your journey through grief and the transformation. And I want you all to join us in one week. Sarah's going to be back for a part two of this episode where she's going to share some tips on how you can deal with grief, how you can help others through grief, and some different lessons that she's learned from her guests. So be sure to also check out our show notes where we have a link to Sarah's podcast, Breathing Wind, and other ways that you can reach out to her through social media. Thanks again, Sarah, for being with us today. Thank you. This has been really wonderful. Thank you for listening to the Single Soul Circle podcast. If you'd like to be a guest or have an idea for a guest, email me at singlesoulcircle at gmail.com and be sure to check out our blog at singlesoulcircle.com.